Welcome to Getting to Yes, Success Tips in Ortho-K. This podcast is produced by Review of Optometric Business and is sponsored by GP Specialists. I'm Roger Mumbert, Content Director for Review of Optometric Business, and we're speaking today with Dr. Stephen Turpin of North Cascade Eye Associates with locations in Northern Washington State. We want to welcome Steve Turpin here today, who is a specialist in all forms of contact lens fitting, among other uh, specialties. Tell us about your practice, Steve. Yeah, so I'm right now I'm uh, working at a group called North Cascade Eye Associates. Uh, we're an ophthalmology and optometry group. There we have about 10 doctors who have a number of different specialties uh, at six locations in northern Washington. And, uh, yeah, just I head up the uh, contact lens department. Uh, we do all kinds of specialty contact lenses from sclerals to orthopay, specialty soft lenses, hybrids, all of that good stuff. And this is an exciting time, is it not, that you're able to solve a lot of problems and provide improvements in vision and comfort that perhaps uh, was not possible just even a few years ago? Yeah, exactly. We uh, have you know some pretty significant improvements in the technology in terms of contact lenses. And so you know, previously, only a small subset of the population you know, really qualified to to wear contacts for various reasons. And there was a lot of things that disqualified people from wearing contacts. And today we've reached a point where there are very few, you know, absolute contraindications to contact lens wear. So we're really lucky in the fact that we get to provide a system that patients can use to correct their vision without having to be dependent on spectacle lenses. And so that's that's just a great thing to, to be able to do. Dr. Turpin, explaining ortho-K to patients and parents is something of a challenge. It's relatively new uh, to them, if not to the uh, ophthalmic community, and uh, there are some complexities to it. So what are some of the um, objections that you hear when you explain um, ortho-K, and what are, what's most effective in overcoming some of those uh, hesitations, if you will? One being, uh, I think you have said, uh, people often say, you want to what? Flatten my kid's eyeballs? How do you overcome some of those uh, misunderstandings or, or assumptions? Sure, yeah. So, it, you know, the thing about it is that the it's nice that we don't have to overcome uh, a lot of really negative um, assumptions about what ortho-K is, and, and that's simply because not a lot of people in the United States have heard of it. So uh, it's kind of nice to be able to start with a fresh slate. Um, you know, when they first kind of hear the concept of ortho-K, they're, they're a bit put off by it. But fortunately, there's not a ton of negative connotations associated with orthokeratology itself. So what I try to explain to, to patients and parents is what ortho-K is in, in pretty simple terms. And so when if, if anybody does know about it, they think that uh, it's exactly what you said, which is we're trying to flatten um, their kid's eyeball by pressing on the on the eye with the lens. And that, that's just simply not true. When you look at how the lenses actually work, and this is one thing that I do explain to the parents, it's really the tear film underneath the ortho-K lens that's doing all the work. And so the reason it's working is the hydraulic forces in the center are very different than the hydraulic forces in the mid-periphery of the of the ortho-K lens. And, and what happens is that very thin, about five microns thick, 
tear layer underneath the center of the lens is causing compression of the epithelial cells in the center of the lens. And what happens is then the effect is that the very thin five micron layer underneath the center of the lens causes compression of the central layers of the epithelium and the cells in the mid periphery become more hydrated than they were previously. And what you get is this effective flattening of the refractive surface of the cornea, though there are no migration of epithelial cells and no destruction of any epithelial cells. It's just changing the hydration. And that's that's what I explain to patients, that we're just moving water around between the cells to get the effect. And there's really nothing else that uh, we're doing to the eye to get the effect other than that. So it's a matter of putting it into very simple terms that your eye, and you've gotten into a lot of the elements of the eye or the cornea, uh, but that your eye is um, encased in a, in a tear film, and that that's really what you're manipulating in order to create a, an effect that has uh, a corrective effect on, uh, on myopia? Yeah, exactly. And, and like you said, we put it in simple terms for, for the parents and just say, you know, we're changing the hydration of the outer layer of the cornea in order to get this effective flattening, um, which improves vision, you know, and it doesn't require any sort of correction um, throughout the day, uh, which is pretty convenient for the, the parents and the patient. In explaining this, are there any visuals that you rely on, any print materials or online materials that you might uh, reference so that the uh, uh, patient and parents could uh, learn more about it? Yeah, we have a brief um, kind of frequently asked questions with some diagrams uh, that we generated for our practice. So anytime that we see any patients that we think may be good candidates, uh, regardless of, of the situation, we always uh, provide them with that and allow them to kind of go home and investigate a little bit further. And we give them some, some resources to, to check out and give them the power to do their own investigation to see if it's something that they might be interested in works for their family. When you suggest ortho-K as a corrective uh, therapy, why um, it brings up the, the question of myopia itself. And, and I guess the common reaction, as we've talked about, is that parents may say, well, why don't I just get a pair of glasses for uh, my son or daughter? Yeah, and that's always a good, always a good conversation to have. And it's something that I think you know, kind of needs to start happening all over, all over the country with practitioners. And I always started off by saying, you know, traditionally we would have, have just recommended, you know, said, here's your, here's your glasses prescription, uh, go get a new pair and come back and see me in a year. And if we have to update it, we'll update it then. Uh, but now based on kind of the research that has come out, even, you know, the last five, ten years, we have a lot better understanding, though we, there's still a lot we don't understand about myopia and its development. But uh, what we do understand is that giving people glasses is not the only option and is, shouldn't be the only option, that there are techniques that we can use to help slow the progression of myopia and you know, recently we we came up with kind of a review, and, and what that review says is that for every one diopter of myopia that you are able to prevent in a patient, there is a 20% reduction in their uh, risk of having some sort of visual impairment as a result of myopia. And so if you 
maintain a patient at a minus three as opposed to a minus four, they're 20% less likely to have vision impairment as a result of their their myopia, which is kind of a powerful thing and really uh, hits home with a lot of parents. Yeah, um, there's new studies out, um, Adam Bryan Holden Institute and elsewhere, that uh, back this up, I guess. Do you reference any of those clinical studies, even if it's beyond the understanding of the patient and parent? Yeah, we do, and we usually list those uh, at the bottom of you know some of our other educational material. There, there are a number of you know parents come on on all ends of the spectrum. There are parents who are very diligently um, take what you have to say and, and really trust you, and then there's other parents who really like to do a lot of investigation of their own, and they're very capable and very intelligent uh, folks and and really want to know the exact science of everything. So they'll take those references home and actually look those up. So providing them to everybody just gives everyone the opportunity to to go in and look into it themselves and and be kind of in charge of their own education. Yeah, this kind of leads to, I guess, myopia being redefined or further defined as being a, a condition of axial lengthening. Um, is that something you get into, or is that a little bit beyond the uh, the interest or understanding of the patient and parents? We get into it on a on a superficial level. I think it really helps parents understand why becoming more myopic is a problem. Um, you know, thicker glasses is aren't going to be the things that hurt the patient. It's not going to cause them to have neck problems or something like that. The problem really comes down to the eye getting longer and therefore the retina becoming more stretched and having more tension and more risk for uh, having some sort of tear, rip, hole, maculopathy, that kind of issue. So explaining that it's the axial length uh, increasing that's that's really the problem helps parents understand the the anatomical issues as opposed to just the higher prescription. Yeah, so this is, I guess, where you turn the corner in your conversation with families and uh, say, well, this is this all sounds pretty complicated, but does it work, they may ask. And that's where you've got some good news to share, is that right, with, uh, with the lenses that are available to you and the kind of results that you're seeing? Yeah, exactly, and it kind of goes back to, to what we talked about in terms of the numbers that we look at as far as reducing risk by slowing the progression uh, of myopia. And so what we what we have found at this point is in most cases, uh, the average we can get is about a diopter, three quarters of a diopter to a diopter of slowing in the in the progression of myopia. Now, though, most of those studies have been done over a one to two year period. And so uh, there's no way we can ever know exactly if we implement treatment where a patient would have ended up because we don't have a crystal ball or able to look into alternate universes where we take a patient and we you know, treat them in one universe and don't treat them in the other universe and then subtract the two. We can't know that. But what we can we do know is that a, a group of patients who receive treatment compared to a group of patients who have other similar characteristics who don't receive treatment, uh, we're able to, even regardless of, of the degree of myopia that they had when they started or um, the, their progression rate, that uh, we're, able to cur- we're able to slow it down uh, and prevent about 
like I said, three quarters of a diopter to a diopter. And usually those studies are over two years. So we don't really know exactly how much more we can get over those, you know, next four or five, six years. Uh, those studies are, un are being done at the moment, but at least uh, we can we can give the parents that uh, peace of mind and then tie it into to the story about the reduction in the risk of any sort of vision impairment or, or uh, myopic maculopathy, those kind of things. Let me ask you about some of the practical aspects of introducing a family and patient to contact lenswear. Tell me something of the typical patient, if you would, how old they are and how responsible they might be since they're going to be uh, wearing a lens overnight. How do you introduce that process in terms of proper care and safety? I always explain that the actual age of the patient is less important than the maturity age of the patient. So I usually give parents a benchmark of, you know, is your child able to uh, brush their teeth every night and do their kind of nightly routine without any direction from the parents? If, if, the, if, the, if the potential patient is able to do those things by themselves and, and able to take that responsibility, usually they'll be responsible enough to apply a contact lens and take it out in the morning and care for it properly. And so I have, you know, some patients who are five years old and they're able to uh, do everything perfectly fine on their own. Then I have 15, 16 year olds who weren't able to prove that they were mature and responsible enough to uh, have have these contact lenses. So usually we, we go through a little bit of a discussion about, you know, kind of the maturity level of the patient. And, you know, the other things that we explain is that because the patients are wearing the lenses overnight, they are at increased risk of having a, an infection. Now, that is relative to just daily wear, wearing a soft contact lens during the day. And while the relative risk is significantly higher, about 13 times higher, uh, getting an infection in, uh, in overnight wear versus daily wear, the absolute risk is very small. So we're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of about eight cases per 10,000 patient hours. And so just, you know, really the, the way to avoid, um, you know, those eight cases is really just instilling in the patients the importance of, of proper lens hygiene and, and hand washing, because in most of those cases, there uh, there was some evidence of breakdown in, in the lens handling and the lens care and the disinfection of the lenses. Okay. What do you explain in terms of the initial discomfort of wearing an overnight lens? So... There's no secret that ortho-K lenses are not quite as comfortable uh, as, a, as a daily disposable soft lens that you put on for the first time. You know, these are rigid lenses, and they have to be in order to, to do what they need to do. So usually what I explain to patients is that the first time you apply this lens, is, it's probably going to be the most uncomfortable that it is uh, ever. And so I, I give them a, a ballpark estimate of they should expect the lens to be about a 5 out of 10 on the comfort scale the very first time that they put the lens in. And it should improve uh, improve from that. So usually we look at about a 5 out of 6 of 10 when they first apply the lens. And after the first week, that comfort level usually goes up to about a 7 or an 8. And then after a month, the, uh, the comfort's usually around a, an 8 or a 9. It's not a perfect 10. They're still rigid lenses. 
but um, you get a significant improvement. And, and most of the discomfort generated by these lenses is due to interaction with the lid. And so the nice thing about it is you when the, you first put the lenses on the patients and you have them keep their eyes closed, most of that sensation of the, of the lens on their eye disappears because it's no longer interacting uh, dynamically with that lid. And so that kind of builds some confidence in them that um, they may have a little bit of discomfort when they first apply the lenses, but they're, they're just simply sleeping in them. So uh, most of that discomfort goes away rather quickly when they just simply close their eyes. That's fascinating. Does science understand why discomfort dissipates over time? Is there a desensitizing that happens in, in parts of the eye or the lid? Yeah, there sure is um, desensitization of the of the lid and the cornea. Um, we don't know the exact the exact mechanisms behind it. We know that um, there is some alteration to the the nerve plexus in the the cornea, but there's still a lot we don't understand about it. Um, but we're sure happy that it happens because uh, getting used to wearing the lenses and being more comfortable, able to wear them, you know, a half an hour before you go to bed if, if needed, then that's that's nice to have instead of, you know, staying at that five or a six the, the whole time you wear the lenses. Right. So in terms of uh, presenting OrthoK to patients and families, it's a question of explaining how it works, uh, explaining what's involved in terms of the responsibility of the patient and so forth, and close follow-up. Why? Um, what does this translate into in terms of acceptance? In other words, how many uh, patients and families uh, get to yes when you've suggested OrthoK as, as opposed to another route for vision correction? Yeah, we, it, it depends on, on the patients. Um, we take a very hands-off approach uh, for our patients. Like I said, oftentimes what we do is we'll present this information um, to patients at their routine exam, you know, new patients who we've, we've never seen. And, and if they are a candidate, we, we make the presentation. But most, most of the time we say, you know, take, spend some time at home talking about this, researching it. Uh, it, is an, it is an investment with time and, and monetary resources that we want you guys to be very confident in before we start the process so that we're both on the same page. And patients are usually very uh, grateful uh, that we take that approach and, and don't try to do any hard selling to them um, at that appointment. And so um, we usually get about a 50% um, capture rate when, when we're doing these, this, this very soft cell where patients are able to go home and investigate a little bit, uh, a little bit more deeply before they call in and, and make a consultation appointment. But the, the fortunate thing about that is that when we do get the patients in for the consultation and do go through the process, uh, we have about a 90 to 95% continuation from the consultation visit. So because we, let the parents and the patients make the decision and, and come to a conclusion before we see them for the consultation, uh, the, the rate of dropout mid-fit uh, is very, very low for us. And, and, and we, we, we like that model versus um, trying to get everybody in that we can for a consultation and have people drop out midway. 
Yeah, that's an interesting point uh, of view. Uh, certainly, 50% uh, would be very good in some regards. 50% uh, acceptance might be uh, uh, thought of as low. But let's be clear, you're helping 100% of your patients through some form of vision correction. It just might be that only about half elect to uh, commit to uh, ortho-K. Yeah, ortho-K isn't for everyone, and the, the general understanding in the public isn't that high right now. And, and so people... Um, there's the early adopters that, that you'll get, but we're still kind of waiting on the, the populace to really get a good understanding of myopia. And there's a lot of good programs out there, you know, run by the AOA and run by the Brian Holden Institute that we're really bringing myopia into the consciousness. And I think um, once we get to that point, you know, ortho K, uh, multifocal soft lenses, and just kind of the myopia management um, system as a whole is, is really going to to have an effect and take hold. And, and we'll just see those numbers go up over the next five or 10 years as as the public becomes more knowledgeable uh, of this, of myopia as a, as a public health issue. Thank you for listening to Getting to Yes, Success Tips in Ortho-K with Dr. Stephen Turpin of North Cascade Eye Associates with locations in northern Washington State. This podcast is produced by Review of Optometric Business and is sponsored by GP Specialists. The podcast is archived here on Review of Optometric Business. That's reviewob.com. We hope that you find it helpful in your practice. Please share a link to the podcast with an associate or colleague.